do the dance. Well, it may not have looked like many anticipated, but Penn State picks up a win in New Jersey, where I am currently recording from. This is Tyler Donahue, along with Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast, and Penn State is 8-3. and It wasn't pretty in Piscataway by any stretch of the imagination. We'll get into the inconsistencies that we saw uh, from the passing game, but we also will acknowledge uh, the career milestones that Trace McSorley accomplished on Saturday afternoon as well. Take a quick look at Senior Week. It is Thanksgiving week. Hopefully for you, uh, this is a short work week. And Sean, excited to get it started with you as always. Coming off a victory, as we said, wasn't filled with style points, though. Your first intro on the Lions 24-7 podcast, much smoother than Penn State's offense on Saturday. And again, I mean, just a frustrating team to watch. I mean, it feels, you know, you really feel like you're back in 2015 watching this team because, you know, there's 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 plays there to be made. Guys aren't making them. Your, your third-year starting quarterback, who, who we love as much as anybody, just just not getting it done. I mean, it's just uh, he, he looks... He looks hurt. He looks like he's limping around. He looks like he's dragging that arm around and and not hitting the passes that he's used to hitting. And you know it's frustrating everybody. So twenty to seven, not ideal. What you're looking for against a team, uh, Rutgers. I'm sorry, dude. They were awful. I mean, yeah, Rutgers had Rutgers had some very Rutgers ish moments, uh, recent history, and that you know the interception, the drop on the trick play in the end zone, and. You know, if a team like the Scarlet Knights it can execute that, things are a lot different there in the fourth quarter, which is certainly not what Penn State fans want to hear. But I think we saw it on our message boards. We saw the reaction. Uh, you know, Rutgers was in that game for a lot longer than people anticipated because Penn State couldn't put away. Uh, but Rutgers couldn't make any kind of dent because, uh, let's face it, that's kind of been their M.O. of late. Well, if you look at the score, you see 20 to 7, and you think maybe the Rutgers played up, you know, senior day, all that kind of stuff. But nope. really, no, not at all. I mean, this is this is completely on Penn State. The, you mentioned the, the Sitkowski interception, which, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Tommy Stevens is celebrating because it's no longer the, his is no longer the worst interception I've seen this year. But I, I wasn't even watching. I, I saw him roll out and throw the ball, and I thought it went 10 yards out of bounds. And I look up, and Garrett Taylor's bringing the ball back. I mean, that's, that's bad. And then you... They just went peak Rutgers on that uh, the Philly special. I mean, right in the hands, and you just you just saw it in slow motion. And you know, it's unfortunate for for Rossino because I actually think he played a fairly decent game for what he's been asked, and I'm still not sure why he's not the starter based on what we saw. But uh, man, that was uh, that was a horrible display of football, and and, and Penn State didn't help that. Just a weird day. Um, we mentioned last week that they were. Fairly sharp against Wisconsin. Not really what we expected coming into the season or anything like that. But still, you know, they, they probably played one of their more efficient games against the Badgers and did not carry over at all. Miles Sanders ran the ball a lot like we expected him to, but the offensive line did not get the push that we thought they could get against a Rutgers team that's been gashed on the ground this year. So um, I, a, a sobering stat. Penn State, 22.1 points per game since the Illinois game. And, you know, you got three losses sprinkled in there. Obviously, they, they went out and laid an egg at, at Michigan. But still, I mean, Rutgers is a team you should score on. They, they put up 30 on Iowa, which is fine. But, man, there's, there's really just nothing that you can take from these last seven games and think, hey, this is a team that, uh, that, that should have been better. They, and, and, and this is not – 
um, exclusive to Penn State. I mean, Penn, there's a lot of bad college football being played around. There was somebody on the board the other day said, how far do we drop after this loss? And I'm thinking, they're not going to drop. I mean, there's there's a lot of bad teams in, still in front of Penn State. You, see, you saw Syracuse get blown out. You've got opportunities for, you know, Florida State, Florida's this weekend. Utah State, Boise State's this weekend. Uh, the the, the West Virginia lost, of course, a, a terrible game against Oklahoma State this weekend. Now they've got Oklahoma. So, you know, outside of five or six teams, and, and I say six because Oklahoma can outscore anybody, there's a lot of bad college football out there. So you just keep winning. You're just going to keep moving up. And Penn State still has an opportunity to play in that New Year's Six game, which, you know, if you look at this team, if you watch this team, this is far from what you think of when you think of a New Year's, New Year's Six team. Yeah, I don't know if this is a unique unique thing to this year in college football, but it just feels like there are a few teams that appear in contention for college football, and it's been this way really since mid-October, and everyone else is just kind of meandering their way through the season, not quite sure whether to call it a success or a step back. And, and that's like you said, I'm not just talking about Penn State. They've got Utah State directly ahead of them in the AP poll, 10-1, and one, a nice season for them in the Mountain West. Here's who's right behind Penn State, though. A three-loss Washington, a three-loss Kentucky, a three-loss Utah, Syracuse, Northwestern, Boise State, Mississippi State, Army, Pittsburgh, and Iowa State. So that's who's right behind Penn State. There are not a lot of blue bloods in that group there, that's, Sean. That's, that's a Pittsburgh team that, that <laughs> what, lost by 50 to Penn State. Yeah, that to lost it, by 50 And now they're playing for an ACC championship. I mean, the ACC, bad. You know, Big, <laughs> Big Ten, Ten bad. Big Ten, bad. <laughs> Pac-12, bad. Uh, Colorado just fired their coach, uh, speaking of the, the, our Pac-12 following, which is, the, I think, probably a little bit overdue. Man, it's just – it's bad. It is bad football. And, I, and, and to be honest with you, you know, I, I said it after the Ohio State team, uh, game. I didn't think Ohio State was that good. And they, they've shown that. Maryland uh, took them to the brink. If they could throw a five-yard pass, they would have beaten them. And But then at the same time, I'm not convinced that Michigan's going to roll Ohio State. So it's it, it's crazy to think where we're at in college football. You, you, you talk about the elite. You know, you know Alabama's elite. You, you, you believe Clemson's elite. Georgia's up there. Michigan's up there. Notre Dame's undefeated. Oklahoma can outscore anybody. That's pretty much whatever, you know? Yeah, and, and I think when you look at, you know, Penn State and this and, and their schedule and, and how we've gotten here, that Michigan State loss, you know, looks worse every week. I Killer. mean, Michigan State loses 9-6 to six to, to, to Nebraska. You know, Nebraska's had a nice little stretch here where they've looked a lot more competitive than they were in the season, but Michigan State has just kind of looked lost since they visited Beaver Stadium. Um, you know, Ohio State gets throttled by Purdue. As you said, Maryland, a team we'll see in Beaver Stadium Saturday, did just about all they could to hand them a second loss. And we'll figure it out with Michigan, you know, th- this weekend. I mean, Michigan's got it all in front of them. Um, I didn't want to do all the Big Ten conversation here at the top of the show, but you know it is going to be the most focused on game among Big Ten fans and really across the country. A lot of people are going to be looking in at Michigan-Ohio State, and I still think you know, Ohio State, they are guaranteed nothing with the win, in my opinion, Sean. I mean, I it, it was a very, very bad one loss. There are still teams that have to leapfrog. To me, Michigan's the one who controls their destiny. And, and you look at the other side of the Big Ten, Northwestern going to be coming out in Indianapolis representing the West. And that's a team that very nearly lost to Rutgers. So who is who? And who's and Michigan's the only team that's really looked like they're capable of going out there and consistently pounding teams. Uh, when I look at this uh, Penn State squad, where's their most complete game? Probably go all the way back to week three against Kent State. Uh, you know, But I think they... 
They they looked very sharp um, in, in, in relation to what we had seen before against Wisconsin. Uh, but then, I, obviously, the offense took another step back. The inconsistencies were there. Trace McStorley begins 3 of 14 passing. Miles Sanders, a lot of carries in this game, not nearly the kind of production. 27 carries equates to 88 yards on the ground. Uh, you know, that's not what you're looking for against a team, you know, that you think you can have an advantage of uh, against them in the trenches at skill positions. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll start with the bad here. And Trace McSorley says, you know, it was interesting. Trace said the inconsistencies were, were on him. And he's, he takes ownership, but he got pretty detailed. He said he was inaccurate, needs to be more accurate to take advantage of those opportunities. He had guys open. Um, you know, he was asked about, well, the, well, you got a lot of first-year guys out there. And Trace pretty much squashed that and said, yeah, those first guy year guys are putting themselves in a spot where I need to be able to locate them, put the ball there. He just, you know, the, the accuracy has been an issue all year, but now three out of four games under 50% passing. That's since the injury. It's been a month now since the injury. I thought physically he looked like he wasn't where he was at against Wisconsin. Certainly not a running threat at this point. And you watch Tommy Stevens on the sideline, Sean, and Mark and I spent way too much time watching Tommy Stevens warm up with Sean Clifford at one point, I believe in the second quarter, when Trace was really struggling, Tommy's firing the ball, firing the ball. There's a pace to it. He's out there in the huddle, standing over Franklin's shoulder, and we're wondering, is Stevens going out there? He goes back to McSorley, and McSorley ends up playing, to a lot of people's surprise, 100% of the quarterback snaps in this game. Yeah, that was shocking to me because you think you can get Tommy because the Lion package, and we'll call it what it is, has been effective against bad teams, and that's a that's a spot you can use that. But, yeah, I mean, he's clearly ineffective. And, I, you know, Trace gets the benefit of the doubt, no doubt about it. But, you know, maybe try something. I mean, you're scoring 20 points against Rutgers, and you're struggling to get to 20 points against Rutgers. I mean, that's that's saying something. So um, credit Trace. He, he nailed it in the, in the postgame. I mean, he's those guys are open. I I get all the the belly aching about Ricky Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie put some guys in spots to make plays, and and they did not come through and make plays, especially in the first half. So, um, it's uh, it's unfortunate to watch um, because Trace's legacy, you know, I think is, is is starting to get a little wear on it, and that's really unfortunate given where he's been. Since the Ohio State game, he just hasn't been the same guy, and it's it's been unfortunate to watch. And of course. The entire offense down from 55.5 points per game heading into the uh, the Ohio State game. And, you know, let's be honest, that, that was a bit of a fraudulent number. Some numbers rolled up late in, uh, in games early in the season. They're down to 34.3 points per game, still 29th in the country. But, man, that's, that's a big dip when you're talking about a per-game clip. And this this 2018 season will be one that, you know, it's going to be digested, I think, in a lot of different ways for folks looking at Trace McSorley, his senior season, you know, early on, that Ohio State game, what he did in that game to put them in a position to beat the Buckeyes, I don't think will be soon forgotten, but... You know, really, you know, the fourth and five call at the end of the game. From that moment on, there's been so much, uh, just a, a kind of a shadow hanging over this offense. And 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 you know, the Michigan State clunker out of the bye week was an obvious one. And I won't go down this road again, Sean, and recapping uh, some of the the ebbs and flows of this season. But I will say. Um, it's tough to, to, to say how much of this is the injury, how much of it is the offensive system that was in place coming into this year and Trace McSorley's ability to, to orchestrate that offensive system because, you know, there was legitimate inconsistencies and clunkers for this entire offense, um, you know, at, at all levels before McSorley got hurt. He gets hurt. That gets expounded on the road against a, a top-ranked Michigan team. Um, you know, in Wisconsin, that was not the, the kind of Trace McSorley attack we're used to seeing. That was very much in the game 
game manager mold, kind of the same thing at Rutgers. You know, uh, you know, and so game manager is not what we talked about with Trace McSorley. That's not why we talked about him putting this team in the position to, to take them to playoff contention here in 2018. Uh, this is not a game manager. This is a, a game breaker for defenses, and, and he hasn't been able to be that. And so where the passing game hasn't been there all season, I think that's a big thing of that is the supporting cast. Um, that's starting to come together now, but I think now – McSorley is not the same quarterback that he was when Big Ten play began. Yeah, I mean, he took a pounding in that Ohio State game. So, you know, there's there's a, there's obviously since then, I mean, we talk about the knee injury that came a couple of weeks later, but still, I mean, he just took a pounding and hasn't been able to get the ball there. He hasn't stepped into his throws. He hasn't done anything. And I said it a couple of weeks ago. I put that on the I put that on Franklin. I mean, he's the, he's the guy that sees it out there, and it's and it's unfortunate to watch where Trace is in this situation. But if he can't get it done, he can't get it done, and you know, Franklin's got to recognize that. I, he said it a couple of weeks ago in, in regards to the defense, in regards to the building trust with guys like Koa Farmer, who's still out there, and 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 I think Trace is out there in that in that category as well. And I don't think you bench Trace. I don't think you sit him, you know, completely, but. Mix in a series here and there. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. They've they've gotten some spark out of Tommy Stevens when they needed to. Um, I think Tommy, especially against a Rutgers team that struggled to stop a run, I think Tommy could have been very useful on Saturday. So um, don't want to dwell too much on this, but it, it, it's certainly it's a broken offense. It's something that needs to be examined in the offseason. And, and I sort of liken it, to, and I see you have written down here, Tyler did the rundown today, by the way, that it's going to be the biggest question in the offseason is, season is going to be that passing game. Well, it's it's sort of like Tyler Davis last year. You know, the biggest question was going to be the kicking game coming into this year. But, hey, Tyler Davis was not very good last year. So the, the the bar a little bit lower because of the performance this year. It's unfortunate. But you're probably not going to see as much of a drop-off as you would think when you're, when you're seeing a guy like McSorley end his career. Yeah, so Trace McSorley that I spoke with on Saturday afternoon on, on highpoint.com field at Rutgers was someone who, you know, was more anxious to talk about what he needs to fix, how he can be better in these last couple of games in his college career than he was to talk about his accolades. But we've gone too far in the podcast and talk about his pre- present issues. But we need to zoom it out a little bit, Sean, and acknowledge what Trace McSorley, you know, the milestones that he reached here uh, against Rutgers for his career. Went over 100 t- total touchdowns in his college career. He is the third Big Ten player in history to accomplish that. The others, JT Barrett at Ohio State, Drew Brees at Purdue. He's now in that exclusive company. I think only 65 players uh, at the Division One level of football have accomplished that over the years. So Trace is now part of that group. And then 30 wins separates them from all other Penn State quarterbacks. It's the highest win total for a starting quarterback. 30 wins, 8 losses. Fiesta Bowl among those accomplishments, Big Ten Championship among those accomplishments, um, and uh, a guy that obviously that record speaks for itself in a lot of ways. He wanted to push shift the spotlight to the linemen who blocked for him over the years, to the receivers who've caught the passes over the years. But let's face it, Trace McSorley, regardless of, of whether or not this offense under his direction is fizzling towards the end of his career, the 38 games and, and what we assume will eventually be 40 games as a starter – um, it, it has been a special chapter in Penn State football. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, you think about where they were at in 2015, and, and it's really just a far cry from that tax layer bowl where he had to come in and, and do some some different things. I know it wasn't his first start, but it might as well have been. So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, this is 
this is a legacy where, you know, you, you hope this is not the, the Trace McSorley that you remembered. I mean, he's among uh, the elite college football or among the player, the elite of college football players in the country. There we go. Um, but, uh, yeah, when he's when he's not at 100 percent, this is it's unfortunate that this is going to be the last thing that we think about when we think about McSorley. So um, it's it, it's tough to, to swallow it that way. But, yeah, he's just a phenomenal career. And it's really, you know, it's just sort of been indicative of the way things have gone for Penn State over the last couple of seasons. Well, McSorley, a huge player for Penn State over these last three years. But players of the game, I don't think he's going to get mentioned in this instance. Uh, moving on, uh, Sean, I've got on offense Pat Fryermuth, the freshman tight end. Six touchdowns now. He leads the program. Uh, he is second among all Big Ten freshmen in touchdown catches. He is second among all Big Ten tight ends in touchdown catches. And again, a guy who continues to ascend as a player to watch, not just in state college these next few years, but really I think across college football at his position. Yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a special player. Um, you know, he's a little bit older than everyone else in, in his grade, which is fine. You know, it's, it's sort of an asterisk that you put beside it, but still he got, he goes out and he makes big catches and, and I like the way he's, he's setting up his catches. He's, he's pulling some fakes, he's getting into space and he's, he's really, you know, playing above his class. And, and I think, uh, you know, all big 10 might be a little bit far of a stretch this year, but I think he's certainly, you know, he's going to be a freshman all American, I'm sure. And, and, and certainly deserves that. So Fryermuth is my guy as well. Like I said, uh, last week I expected Miles Sanders to be that guy, but you got to take what you got to take. Fryermuth took what he was able to get, and, and honestly, that that big catch over the middle was was probably as big as uh, as big as those touchdowns. I mean, he was open on both of those touchdown catches. He's, he's coming across the middle, hits that twenty three yard gain, keeps the drive alive, and, and sort of goes with it. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. Really excited to watch this kid for the next three years. And for a guy who's what six foot five, two hundred and sixty pounds in that range, he sure does, like you said, find a way to, to get open. He, he runs like almost like a short slot receiver. The way he he exploits some of those seams, so. Uh, just a really special package with Pat Fryermuth defensively, and again, we didn't really talk about it because you know the focus is on McSorley in the offense. Defensively, though, continue to see his steps in the right direction. Eleven tackles for loss as a group, three forced fumble, uh, three forced turnovers after four first turnovers against Wisconsin. Uh, my pick for defensive player of the game, I'm going with your guy. I thought about a freshman here, but I'm going with someone you've been tuning the horn for all season, Sharif Miller. Another impressive performance up up there for him, setting the tone for a strong defensive line day. Two and a half tackles for loss, a sack. You know, the emotions are a big part of what Sharif does in the football field. Uh, Kind of worked against him at one point with the penalty. But I thought for the day, he was that tone setter that, that a lot of guys look toward and fed off of. Well, since you took my guy, I'll go with your guy. Micah Parsons really showing those flashes that we expected coming into the season. They finally let him get after the quarterback. He did some nice things, had the the, the forced fumble. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to change my vote. Daniel Joseph's my player of the week, my Ooh. defensive player of the week, because he grabbed a fumble on the ground. And that's something <laughs> that Penn State, it, it's unbelievable to watch. Um, I, I'm not, I don't have an adjective for, for how they do it, but for, there were four guys around that football when, when Miller and, and, and if he recovers that football, you know, that's the, that penalty is, it doesn't happen. You know, the, the chain of events that goes off doesn't happen, but Penn state now has recovered six of 21 fumbles, I believe it is, or actually, yeah, I think that's six of 21 or seven of 22 or some, whatever it is, it's bad. It's very bad because it's just some of these balls are sitting under Penn State defenders and they just they don't come up with it and I can't explain why it's it doesn't make any sense to me just watching it you think the law of averages would would eventually kick in but man Penn State can't recover a fumble and it's and it's 
it's bad. It's it's just it's hilariously bad. I mean, you don't want to sit here and laugh about it, but when you don't come up with the, you know, if if you recovered half of those fumbles, maybe you, you know, maybe maybe you're a one-loss team. Maybe you're even better than that. Who knows? But it's just it's unbelievable to think. And congratulations to Daniel Joseph for being one of the few Nittany Lions that can recover the fumble. And of course, last week, and he did laugh about it after the game. But Sharif Miller recovers a fumble, only to fumble it back. Fumble, the other team, of course. So. Yeah, throw that one in the list. It has been a bizarre stat for this team. Um, special teams thought it was, you know, arguably the best performance, most consistent performance that we've seen in a while for Blake Gillikin. Uh, Average almost 49 yards per punt. Um, he had one that I think went 70, if I'm not mistaken. 70 three was the, long. Three of them were 50-plus yards. And, and this is one. This is not a game where you thought, oh, this is going to be a field position battle. You didn't really expect that to be a huge, significant aspect for Rutgers versus Penn State. It proved out to be that, and, and a lot of punts early, a lot of punts often, and, and I thought you know Blake was the better punter on the football field, and, and he was really the best version of himself that we've seen this year. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far because Rutgers punter is probably their best player, but um, it, it, it looked like Blake was really kicking out some frustration, and, and this is honestly it was not his most efficient game. I mean, he kicked the hell out of the ball, no doubt, but he had three touchbacks, which he really good point. There was does. a lot of power out there. Very a lot point. of power. I'm not sure how the win was, but man, he was he was nailing him it's good to see the leg is still there looks like he's kicking with some frustration which is you know that's fine I mean he 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 flipped the field a couple times even if you give him on the 20 you know it's better than than better than we've seen at times this year so I'll go with Gillikin as well not much in the return game from from KJ Hamler not much in the return game altogether when you have just two kickoffs but still I mean it's uh it's one of those things where the special teams has not really shown up in the last couple of weeks but that's not the horrible thing when you think about how this special teams unit did show up for a stretch this season. So they're, I think they're a little bit better. They're doing some things. Almost got a punt block the other day. And, and well, you know, Blake is is our guy. And I think I definitely have to go with him. By the way, you want to talk about you know someone who's really showing up that we're not talking about a lot of late. Jake Pinniger, he's all of a sudden 14 of 20 on field goals this year. I think the mark last year was something like 7 of 14 for Tyler Davis on the season. There's been more field goal opportunities because this offense hasn't been reaching the uh, end zone with as much consistency. But, you know, Jake Pinniger is not a guy that you're reaching the end of the season saying, oh, this is an issue for 2019. We got to figure out kicker. You're feeling like if Jake's healthy, we've got kicker checked off our list for the next few years. Yeah, absolutely, and he's he's hitting the ball fairly well, and he'll get better. And we know he's got some leg strength to him, and I and I really I, I really like what Penn State has done this year with he and Rafael Checa, not putting too much on either's plate. Checa has been been pretty good. You know, he's had a few out of bounds and a few issues here and there, but uh, Pinnaker has I think come along and, and done some nice things. I think they're going to need, need him this weekend as well. But uh, he's hit some big kicks. He's hit some forty yard plus kicks, and I think he's he's got the opportunity to be an All Big Ten guy moving moving forward. Interesting. James Franklin said after. Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, looking over Jake's stats, he's hit 10 of his last 12 field goals, and the only two misses were against Wisconsin from 40-plus yards on a very windy day in Beaver Stadium. So kid's on a roll right now. And one of those was, was, was blocked, I believe. So uh, James Franklin said after the game, uh, Cam Brown did not play in the first half. Minor personnel, the, the, uh, you know, violation of team rules, what have you. So Micah Parsons gets his first start. Micah looked, I thought, very good. Um, still a guy that's flashing more than he is playing consistently. But when he flashes, man, he's he, he's got it all together. 
Yeah, he just looks different than any other linebacker on the field when he does have those big play moments. Um, And and it was really, you know, I I think a lot of people got their first look at what Micah Parsons can be as a guy getting after the quarterback. A lot of us have been waiting for that kind of wow moment. And he's very capable of delivering those over the course of his career, forcing fumbles uh, from the quarterback. And and it was a field day on Sikowski for this defense. And the the two freshmen could not have gone in an opposite end of the directions for their first year of college. It's been a struggle for Sikowski. He has started a bunch of games. Micah Parsons had not started a bunch of games, but he has steadily progressed to the point where they're comfortable with him getting a bunch of snaps. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is here, you know, we saw Parsons out there for pregame warmups and we're thinking he's going to get the start. He's out there with the first team. Then Cam Brown comes back in, in the second half. First defensive series. Who do we see out there? Cam Brown, Coa Farmer, Jan Johnson, Micah on the sideline. Thought that was very interesting to see. And uh, because this was not the, the, the kind of path to the field that some thought, Parsons would take, which would be through Koa Farmer, uh, you know, the fifth-year senior, the guy who started every game but has ceded a bunch of snaps to, to Micah. Instead, you got a guy, team violation on the sideline. Micah steps in there. So the question is, what's next? You know, what's next? And and it is senior day, folks, coming up on Saturday. So if you thought you were going to see Micah do it through that path, I think of all days, it's not going to be this Saturday. Man, you took my ace in the hole. I was, I was <laughs> going to throw that one back on you, but no, you you, you nailed it. I think it's going to be Farmer, you know, and, and I don't think that's indicative of who's going to get all the snaps. But yeah, I mean, it's senior day, so that's probably what you're going to see. Regardless of what you see, Penn State now uh, with a chance to go to nine and three, um, chance to go to a New Year's Six bowl, and like we mentioned, there's a lot of teams stumbling in front of them. Utah State. I don't know if you saw the end of their game. Uh, Colorado State hit a hail mary at the end, which was negated by the the player going oh, out of yeah. bounds. Uh, crazy college football happening so um it's uh it'll be interesting maryland comes to town later this week we're going to get it back at you later this week um to talk about maryland talk a little bit more recruiting um with uh with thanksgiving coming up not exactly sure when we're going to record but hopefully get that out for you guys to take on your family trips or whatever so your your kids can (laughs) kids and wife can can hear our voices all the way to wherever you're headed recruiting uh right now in playoff mode keaton ellis man uh penn state commit out of state college um they they play delaware valley this weekend in danville and he just continues to make big plays yeah he's a guy who's done everything for this team at state college you know he's been a shutdown cornerback he's been a guy who can handle some wildcat quarterback kind of snaps and obviously Special teams, big-time threat. I was at a game earlier this year when James Franklin was on the sideline watching him. He returned a kickoff in that game for a touchdown. He's a guy who's been very active blocking kicks, blocking punts on special teams, and then also just a, a really productive receiver. Keaton Ellis missed a bunch of his junior year because of a broken thumb. At that point, Penn State had, had jumped in. He was a local kid, hadn't had a ton of exposure at different camps. But since then, you know, he went out to Columbus in Ohio for, for the opening camp, a regional camp. I think he was the, the, the best defensive back award out there. And his senior season, he has blown up. The 24-7 sports uh, rankings have reflected that. He had a huge bump. Barton Simmons had a lot to say about him in a positive light. He's a four-star cornerback now. And I think a lot of folks who thought this was just some kind of local kid, we'll see how it works out. You need to be excited about Keaton Ellis because he's someone who can, who can be a really impressive player. And I think he can be a factor on special teams in his career. Yeah, the staff uh, staff pretty excited about him, but I mean it's uh, it, it it's really been fun to watch because he's a state college kid. He's a nice kid. He he's a guy, and you think about the state college kids that have come through. Jordan Norwood's been there. Uh, Alex Kenny a couple of years ago. I, you know Ellis is is as good, if not better, than either of them. Um, you know.
know, Norwood was a little bit different, uh, different style of player. Kenny is a speed guy like Keaton Ellis is, but Keaton Ellis had so much more, I think, wiggle, so much more football ability than, uh, and you see this playing special teams, you see it playing defense and things like that. So excited to see how his career plays out. Yeah, and uh, congrats to him in State College. And, you know, unfortunately, we did see a lot of Penn State commits out there on social media this weekend, you know, kind of giving those farewell tweets, some of the pictures from their football careers. So for those who are hanging up the uh, the shoulder pads at the high school level before they move on to Penn State or elsewhere, uh, you know, congrats on a great prep career. And it earned you a scholarship and, and an opportunity to continue your path. But did see a lot of those. So I think that, you know, that was kind of bad news on the – high school team front for some of those guys, but a lot to be proud of as they wrap up their prep careers. Some some good news on the high school front. Southern Columbia won, um, so they're going to play on Saturday, which means Julian Fleming, who was set to go to Ohio State for the Ohio State-Michigan game, he ain't going to Columbus this weekend, so that's some good news. Of course, state playoffs still going uh, still going along in Pennsylvania, a couple weeks left to play, So, um, but but things are wrapping up in different parts of the country, and one of those parts is New England. They've, they've got their different little setup where where they play uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut. You know, they, they play some of these uh, intertwined New England games, and and they're all over with. So you're going to see guys like uh, Zach Zinter from from the Boston area come down, Jaden Dotton, who uh, I think we both have a crystal ball on for Penn State coming down this weekend. So once you see some of these guys, uh, you know, their season ends, I think that can play over um, into the visitor list this weekend. You saw the the WCAC is done, so you might get some DeMatha guys up or something like that. Um, so it's... Uh, uh, it's. I don't think it's going to be a huge weekend. Thanksgiving weekend rarely is, but still a solid li- visitor list for Penn State that we will get into later this week. Sean, you just reminded me of something. Um, I, I, we got to say that out loud on the podcast because I want to get your reaction. Julian Fleming, not going to Ohio State this weekend, but a couple weeks ago in his game, was wearing Buckeyes gloves in the game in Pennsylvania in front of, I'm sure, many Penn State fans who would love to see him in a Nittany Lions uniform. He's going to have fun with this process, uh, but I had some people reach out to me. I'm guessing you may have heard some rumblings on this subject. Uh, I will say, we see kids coming off visits. They do you know, tend to... Yeah, they might. They might have. I've seen Florida Gator socks and LSU gloves on, on the same person at a camp setting before. So don't read too deeply into it. But it's very much clear. Ohio State, a team to watch for Julian Fleming, who again, I, I think he's going to take this one at least through uh, some early official visits in the spring. We will see because it's uh, with Twitter, with uh, the amount of attention that these guys get from even from people other than us that cover recruiting, you know, from the fans and everything. These guys know exactly what they're doing. I mean, this is this is not uh, some, you know, innocent little thing where he, he doesn't think he'll be seen. Those pictures are going to be out there. They're going to happen like that. And and it's funny because I was been telling guys on our site for for months that um, uh, Julian Fleming and Raheem Jarrett, the phenomenal receiver from DC, anything you see on Twitter from those guys, you're just going to have to take with a grain of salt because they know exactly what they're doing. They're sharp kids. They're smart guys, and they know exactly how to push your buttons. And it's going to be hilarious to watch, especially you know you you, you can't take the Twitter too seriously because it's just uh, you're getting messed with by sixteen. 17 year old kids it's pretty funny when you think about it like that the best example of this that i've come across in my career was kyler murray now of oklahoma fame a guy who's in the mix for the heisman trophy um he went to texas a&m coming out of high school uh but he visited austin he visited texas uh late late i want to say maybe two weeks before national signing day and charlie strong had some good momentum 
he posted on Twitter. I don't think he had a caption. It was just his jersey number, his number one jersey number in a Texas Longhorns jersey. Posted it, left it there. Thousands of stories, I'm sure, were, were written. Uh, and, and he said at the time he knew he wasn't going to Texas. He just wanted to put it out there. So, hey, you know, the recruiting world is uh, not everything's at face value. So, you know, buckle up, enjoy the ride, and see where it gets everybody on signing day. Going to be a long way away from senior day for a lot of those guys. Senior day for Penn State coming up this weekend. And it's uh, it's not a huge senior class, but there's been a, a bunch of guys that have come through. Obviously, Trace McSorley probably going to get the biggest um, the biggest round of applause this weekend. But who, who else are you looking forward to seeing? Because I mean, there's been some guys that have, that have been through a lot in this program. Yeah, I think one guy that we had a chance to speak with on Saturday – uh, Nick Scott, I mean, he is one of the more insightful players in this program, a guy that I have to imagine has had some great conversations with the freshmen, younger guys who have come to him. If they're not, they should be going to a guy like Nick Scott. And he's someone who has, you know, he's worked his way to where he is now. He's been a very effective safety as a starter here, as a fifth-year senior. But, you know, he's been so important on special teams throughout his career. Uh, early on, he had ambitions to play running back. You know, came in, uh, Saquon Barkley shows up on the scene, everything changes. And I think, you know, for him, he is kind of overlooked, I think, a lot as an emotional catalyst of this group. And every time he has had a chance uh, to step in front of the media with us after games on the practice field, uh, I've been really impressed by this guy. And I think whether it's football or elsewhere, uh, Nick Scott's going to make an impact on, on the world and, and be a success. Yeah, and we should get a list here. I'm not sure if anybody's going to forgo that last year, usually walk-ons and things like that, but uh, should get a list here at some point on Monday, which obviously we'll, we'll post on the site when we can. Uh, actually, I think the, this, uh, this with Senior Day, they've sent it out during the week. But guys like Kyle Vesey, uh, Charlie Schumann, Jason Vranick, these, these, these walk-on guys, and Schumann's obviously on scholarship now, but still, these guys that have come into the program paid their own way for for a long, uh, a long time. You don't see too many fifth-year senior walk-ons. A lot of them just end up giving it up because it's it's too much of a time commitment. You're going to get your degree and go. But these guys have been scout team regulars. I think it's really cool to to honor these guys and to, you know, especially for a guy like Vranek, who was a junior college kid, and he's obviously undersized. And, you know, some people that are listening may not even know him. He's probably like the fifth or sixth uh, middle linebacker at this point. He's a scout team guy. Uh, Schumann, everybody knows from the Thon thing. But Kyle Vesey has turned into a, an integral part of Penn State's uh, special teams unit, and they're, they're going to have to replace him next year. So I always uh, I like watching the seniors. I like watching the, the, the walk-on seniors especially because that's that's not an easy thing to do. No, it is. It is a tremendously <laughs> – requires a lot of dedication to be those walk-on guys. I got to know several of them uh, at Rutgers back in the day, and you know, they do not get the <laughs> – Nearly as many of the perks as I think people think, and, and they have to put in just about the same amount of work as those scholarship players. So you know, hats off to them. And I will say we'll cover this in greater detail on the podcast later this week. I will write about this as well. But the 2014 recruiting class that James Franklin had about a month to finalize and put together, this is, you know, this is the final stretch for the remaining guys in that group, McSorley, Scott. You know, Mark Allen behind the scenes. There's there's several of them in this class who are making you know their final appearance at Beaver Stadium in that uniform. And you think about the program where it was when they got to campus in 2014. Well, you know, with, with a new coach yet again, and people still kind of head spinning about Bill O'Brien leaving after two years. You've still got scholarship sanctions in place. The depth chart is a mess, and look where it is now, where the expectations are. You know, college football playoff competition or everything else that falls short of that is considered not a success. In this five years that they've been with this program, 
so much has changed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned Mark Allen. Obviously, it lost for the year with the knee injury, but uh, a very important part of that locker room. And, you know, we saw him on the sidelines a couple of weeks ago and he's, you know, he seems in good spirits and that's great. But, you know, there's probably a future coach and there's probably a few future coaches in that in that uh, senior class. But it'd be see, good to see them honored on Saturday before the game. Well, uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll focus in on the seniors. We'll give them their respect later. Uh, that was kind of our look back at Rutgers earlier on. Um, as we said, uh, conflicted feelings about Trace McSorley coming out of this one because uh, the recent uh, the recent viewings of the quarterback have not been pretty. The results have not been great, but the grand scheme, he has been a high-impact player for this program uh, who will make a huge mark on the record book. So I think uh, you know we'll answer some questions later in the week, Sean, but I will say uh, Tommy Stevens, uh, uh, this is a topic of conversation. Do you think we'll see him on the field, uh, against Maryland at quarterback, even if it's not a, a blowout, do you think we get some Tommy Stevens or do you think this is again, a situation where they would say hundred percent Trace McSorley, he's taking all the saps It's senior day of all days, you know, he's earned the right as, as Franklin would say, or do you see, you know, if there's early struggles, Tommy Stevens could be more in play. I know it's a loaded question, one difficult to answer, but it's one that I'm certainly wondering. Yeah, you're certainly throwing it all to me right now. But uh, no, I I do think we see Mick Sorley from from wire to wire. Um, I do think that we still see Stevens. I think he had a little bit of success against Maryland last year. Um, uh, And, you know, that's that's something that they'll look at as well. But if you're talking about wire to wire, every snap type quarterback, I think this is Mick Sorley's game, and I don't see that changing. All right, well, I brought us in. I guess I'll take us out. Um, Sean, thank you uh, for letting me handle the driver's wheel this time around. Uh, I'm still in New Jersey. I'll be here for Thanksgiving week. Uh, Sean, enjoy yours in Happy Valley. Thanks to everyone for listening. And if we don't get to you uh, before Thanksgiving, hope you enjoy your family. Uh, week number 12 underway, regular season finale, Saturday, Penn State, trying to wrap things up at 9-3, and three, put themselves in a position for a marquee bowl matchup, which we will learn in a couple weeks. But uh, for now, coming off a win against Rutgers, wasn't pretty, but it was effective in the win column. I'm Tyler Donahue. That's Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hey!